Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for the Tech Guy is provided by Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is the video version of my Tech Guy podcast. The shows you're about to watch were from Saturday and Sunday, March 19th and 20th, 2011, uh, episodes 753 and 754. Enjoy. Well, a good day to you. Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. And it's time to talk about computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players, home theater, and all the digital doohickeys that fill our lives. That's what I talk about each and every week at this time. Of course, we're going to watch with interest what's going on in Japan and anything uh, that happens with the reactors we will talk about. Tell you, there's never been in the last uh, week since the uh, horrible uh, earthquake and tsunami in Japan and the events at the nuclear plant there. There's never been more need, I think, for, for uh, smart technology reporting. It seems like a lot of the information that I've seen, it's getting better. But it, certainly in the first few days, the information about uh, how those plants worked, the risks from those plants and so forth, um, depending on the political point of view of the reporter, has really been you know, grotesquely misreported. Either they've said... It's worse than it is, or it's better than it is. <laughs> and it's not really clear which is accurate. And I think it's so important. You know, this is part of uh, understanding technology. I mean, you have to... Look, it's clear that we have an out-of-control need for power, for electrical power in this country. Ste job one is to reduce that need. Job two is to find safe, renewable ways to supply the need that remains a reasonable amount. And step three is in the short term to find at least as safe as possibly uh, enough power for right now. And there's problems with all of it. Coal-fired plants probably kill more people than any other kind of electrical generation and still is probably the most common form of electrical generation in this country. Uh, oil, well, we've seen the problems uh, that getting oil out of the ground can cause. Uh, but now we've seen the problems that nuclear power can also bring. The question is, how bad is it in Japan? And, of course, there is also a great uh, and reasonable interest in how bad could it be here if something bad happens in Japan and we get those first puffs of, of uh, radiation across the ocean. My friend Steve Gibson sent me an email with a really just fantastic... There were slides, and I, I'll, I'll figure out if there's some way we can post these slides. Uh, lecture from the University of California, Santa Barbara. It's a... Uh, it's a, it's a long URL. It's at ucsb.edu. Maybe if you Googled, the, the professor is a, a guy named Benjamin Morial. And maybe if you Googled his name and the words, how bad is the reactor meltdown in Japan, because that's the speech he gave, you could find these slides. Uh, or the flash of the slides or the QuickTime movie of the slides. Uh, there's, uh, there's lots of ways to view this lecture. 
Uh, Steve did create a short URL uh, for it, which he twittered on Twitter or tweeted on Twitter. I can is that right? <laughs> he sent out on the Twitter, uh, and I think it's a very interesting um, thing to read and somewhat reassuring. Uh, I could just read from the conclusions uh, of this lecture that uh, Benjamin Morial gave. He is a professor uh, of physics at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Point one: the worst general public effects of Chernobyl, which is, of course, the worst nuclear disaster in history, were stress and fear and a huge... This is kind of something I'd never heard. I mean, the radiation is very strong still at the site of the Chernobyl uh, disaster. But he said there was a huge education and communication failure. He talks about something called millisieverts, which are a measure of exposure to radiation and the danger of various levels of millisieverts. And it's his, it's his conclusion, and you can measure it, that the actual amount of radiation received in, by the general population around Chernobyl was not as bad as it sounded. He says, the, my feeling is the worst case radiation, worst case radiation hazards from Fukushima are mitigable and local and can be handled with evacuation and controls on the uh, I-131 and food. That's the radioactive uh, iodine. He feels that the global, this is important for us here in the States, the global radiation hazard is nil. He says the best way to reduce worldwide low-level radiation releases, stop burning coal. Hmm. He also says, save your energy for those affected by the tsunami and the 50 plant workers at Fukushima. Don't worry about the rest. The exposure will be minor. So that's good news. That's really good news. It's hard to get. It's you know, I think there is. A, I'm not alone. I think there is a problem with scientific education in this country and scientific literacy. So it's hard to get good scientific facts. I I think there's opinion as well, and you should make up your own mind. But you have to do it based on fact and hard facts. And sometimes it's hard to get that, especially from mainstream media. I don't know if. My, I actually do know, having worked in mainstream media for years, it's not that they are stupid people. Most of them, many of them are very intelligent. It's that they don't think you are very bright. They do not think we are very bright. And so they're very nervous. And I know this because I've done technology coverage in mainstream media for 30 years. They are very nervous about saying big words. They're afraid that people will tune out. They really treat the American populace as a bunch of nitwits. Now, maybe that comes from actual experience. My experience has been uh, if you act as if people are normally intelligent, maybe they don't, they're not experts in this stuff, but they're intelligent, and you treat them that way, they actually, surprise, are. You treat them like nitwits, they, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> they act like nitwits. So uh, I, I, I think we need a higher level of discourse around all this. And, uh, and, and I would encourage media to, you know, we don't need to dumb it down. I'll never forget doing a show for MSNBC. We did the first, when MSNBC launched in 1995, 96, mid-90s, um, I was a uh, managing technical editor, boy, there's a bad title, for a show called The Site, which was a technology show that they did, we did, with the launch of MSNBC. And um, <laughs> I'll never forget the president of NBC News saying to us, I mean, literally, holding up his little fingers in a little pinch saying, make it this much smarter or make it this much dumber. And then we'd look at each other and go, well, how much is, how much is this, how 
How much is that? And how do you make it this much smarter? <laughs> they always wanted me to, and I, everybody, every time I've worked in tech, technology media coverage in mainstream, is has always wanted me to, whenever I use a word like byte, B-Y-T-E, parenthetically, imagine commas, parenthetically say, every time, byte, the, the, I don't know what I would say, eight bits, the equivalent of one character on a computer. I don't know what I would say. SATA hard drive, comma, the storage device on your personal computer, comma. I'll try to do that. And I apologize. If sometimes when I talk on the show, it goes, it sounds a little technical. I'm trying to make it not jargony. And I try to explain what this stuff is as best I can. But uh, treating you as a normally intelligent person who perhaps just doesn't know the lingo. Every, uh, every, every specialty has lingo, don't they? It's the way we keep the uninitiated, the uninformed in the dark. <laughs> I'll try not to keep you in the dark. And I just wish, I would love to see uh, higher quality uh, coverage of, of stories that are admittedly very technical like this. Because we need to know, because we as a nation are going to need to make a decision about nuclear power, among other things. And that information really will help us. Not the sensationalism, not the scare tactics, n nor on the other side the, oh, it's okay, pay no attention to that. Pay no attention to that nuclear disaster. It's no problem. That's no good either. Give us facts. Let us decide. Give us the information, not the scare. Uh, let's see. iPad 2 has been out for a week now. I'd love to hear your reaction to it. I stand by my initial reaction, and I just want to say this one more time, and I won't belabor it. It's nice. It's great. It's beautiful. It's slim. It's faster. It's got two cameras. Yes, yes, and yes. It is a minor upgrade. If you have an existing, if you're an iPad owner, you do not need to run out and get one. You do not need, it's not that much better. If you don't have an iPad, this might be a good time to get one. But if you already have an iPad, don't feel bad. You're not missing that much. They are selling like crazy. Hard to find them. All right, your call's next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 88. 88. I, I realized I didn't tell you the number, did I? Somebody must know it because we got a board full of calls, as always. It's always hard to get through, but let me give you the number. 888-827-5536. Easier to remember, 8888-ASK-LEO. They paid a pretty penny for that number, so use it, Pilgrim. 8888-ASK-LEO. Write it down. I'm just going to write it down right now. If you're out of the country, that's toll-free in the U.S., but if you're out of the country, you know, Skype out. Install Skype. Everybody should have Skype, right? Skype out will call toll-free numbers for free. So it should be toll-free anywhere globally in the world. You just have to use Skype if you're outside the U.S. Plus one That's what Greg called from Glendora. Hello, Greg Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Welcome to the show. Hello, how you doing, Leo? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm struggling. I I, I got a new problem. You know, I I mentioned a different problem, but I got a worse one. I got a I can't reach. <laughs> so wait a minute. In between the time you talked to Aaron on the on the call screener and the time that you got on the air, you came up with a worser problem. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Your life is not going uphill, is it? Oh, my life's going all the way. <laughs> Now, it's just your digital life. Please do not globalize. What is wrong? What is the problem? Please let me help you, Greg. Oh, thank you. It, uh, Internet Explorer, it won't, it won't allow me to connect to Internet Explorer. 
Uh, I have a desktop, and I, and I try to connect, and it never connects. It just okay, just... That's a, that could be a very bad sign. So first of all, I need to ask you some questions. Pretend, okay. I, pretend I'm your doctor, and I'm asking questions about your symptoms. What version of Windows are you using? What version of Windows? Yeah. This uh, uh, XP. Yeah, XP. You don't app, uh, off the top of your head know what version of of Internet Explorer you're using. Oh, oh, oh. I, I'm trying to think now. I forgot. I can't. I can't visualize it. Now. Yeah, because you know uh, the, the current version, which just came out, and and I highly recommend everybody upgrade to, is IE nine. Nine. If you're running 7 or 8, you're probably okay. But if you are running IE6, Microsoft hates IE6 so much, their own darn product, that they have a site, a countdown, till IE6 goes away forever. They hate it so much. They don't want you to use it. You know why? Because it's so dangerous. And the reason I mention this and I ask what version of Windows is if you are still using Internet Explorer 6... Uh, -huh. uh you, I feel I, you're just you're probably eaten alive with bugs. Yeah, yeah. It if you go to is. yeah, if you go to IE, this is such a funny site. The fact that Microsoft made this site just blows me away. The IE6 countdown. If you go to IE6countdown.com, it shows you know how many people join the cause. Have a website. Encourage Internet Explorer 6 users to upgrade. You know why? It's so dangerous. But what's scary is how many countries are using... For instance, in China, 34% of all browsers are still IE6. That's why many, 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 many viruses come out of China. Uh, in the U.S., I'm glad to say only 2.9% of users are still using Internet Explorer 6. But that's still 2.9% too many. Even Microsoft says too many. So... Uh, my th my thinking, when your browser stops working, it could just be something's broken. I mean, it could be some software components broken. Are you able to get your email? No. No. Can't so get anything. Your internet's, it sounds like your internet's down. Um, no, no, because I got, I tried out a laptop. Uh, wirelessly, my, it, that works great. Oh, so it's just that machine. Yeah, it's just this machine. Ah, Interesting. That even more leads me to think there could be uh, an infection. Now, it's possible that that machine, there's something wrong, like I said, something wrong with the software or maybe they got misconfigured somehow. But, but often a, a, a virus, now viruses don't want to take you offline. What they want to do is keep you from going to antivirus sites, updating your antivirus, things like that. But sometimes they're badly written. You know, the guys who write these aren't necessarily the king of the hill programmers. So oftentimes it's badly written and it keeps you offline. It's, you know, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you this. I, I kind of I have a feeling it's not going to get us anywhere, but have you ever tried Firefox or a different browser? Yeah, I have, I have a Firefox, oh, good. but I have it, I have it on, on my laptop, not on the desktop. Yeah, and of course now you can't get it because IE won't work. Do you, do you, uh, Greg, and uh, I guess I should ask you this. You know how the doctor always says, do you smoke? You know, do you drink every day? I mean, you know, they ask you these prophylactic questions. You do, do you run uh, uh, updates? Do you, whenever, uh, Microsoft, you know, updates Windows every second Tuesday of the month. Do you do those on a regular basis? Just, just like going to church. God bless you, Greg. God bless you, Greg. Okay, now that means, that's, that actually is very encouraging. 
Because the, oh. the, the, the most likely way a bad guy gets into your system, see, a bad guy to get on your system has to get you to run his software somehow. And, uh, of course, Windows now will let you know, hey, somebody's trying to run some software and you want to do this. So uh, bad guys really would prefer to do it silently behind the scenes because they don't want to, they don't want to, you know, attract your attention. They don't want to raise your suspicions. So they don't, they, what they try to do is get you to automatically run their software. There's ways to do that. Most of them, all, all of them involve security flaws in Windows. Windows doesn't, doesn't design to let you, let somebody run a program without letting you know. So uh, the security flaws in Windows get patched by Microsoft whenever they're discovered. Of course, as soon as they're patched, Microsoft's letting the bad guys know they exist. That's why it's so important that you apply those patches the minute they're available. So, but you're doing that. So that's good. That means it's un, it's it's less likely anyway that you got bit. You never you didn't see ever a, a warning on your system. Oh my gosh, uh, you've got a bug. Download our free fix and we'll fix it for you. You, you haven't seen one of those, have you? Antivirus. Yeah, I've seen one. Have you? you I've have, seen one or two. But you haven't said yes. No. Good. Well. well I did on one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, hey, I, everybody I, does once. Yeah, I only did it once. Fool me once, shame on you. It's only fool me twice that you're in trouble. So you, you know, that could be. Those are bad. Those are viruses. When when you see that, the the, the fact that you're seeing it isn't a virus. It means there's a you've you've gone to a site that's got some malicious software on it. Pops up that window. That window implies there's something wrong with your system. There's not. What they're trying to get you to do, remember, bad guy has to get you to run a program. They can do it by deceive, deceiving you, you know, what they call social engineering. Well, this is social engineering. They say, oh, you've got a virus. Oh, no, we can fix it. Just run our program. It's the run our program that should be a red flag. You don't want to run their program. You don't want to run anybody's program unless you're absolutely sure it came from a good source. So that's their little trick. So, Greg, at this point, I'm a little worried that you might have something on here. Here's what I would suggest. Uh -huh. First step, since you have been updating your computer, that's good. Microsoft, every time it does Patch Tuesday, that second Tuesday of the month, updates something called the Malicious Software Removal Tool. You have it on your computer. I'm going to tell you how to run it right after the break. And then, since you do have a working computer, I'm going to tell you a program you can get that you can run on your non-working computer to see if that helps. Stay tuned. That's coming up. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. We're talking right now with Greg and Glendora, and I'm spending a little extra time on this one because it's such a such an important and frankly universal issue. His internet stopped working. Now, if it does, if your internet stops working kind of spontaneously, it could just be something's wrong. You know, I mean, frankly, most of the time something's just you know wrong. Software dies, things go bad, and so forth. But it also could be a symptom of something bad having happened to your system. First thing I always ask everybody, do you do Windows updates? He does. So, that, by the way, Greg, that tells me that I know you're not running IE6 because I uh, Inter uh, Internet Explorer 8 was pushed a while ago by updates. 9 is not yet being pushed by Windows Update, but will soon. You can do it when you launch Internet Explorer now. It says, hey, upgrade to 9, and it'll, it'll upgrade to 9. Uh, if we could get you online, I'd probably do that. But I think you're offline. You know, Now, it could be everything from the cable... Attached to your computer having been gone bad, which can happen, to the settings on the computer being bad and so forth. And if this were a normal tech support call, I would go start going through things like ping and stuff like that. But hell, heck, nobody wants to hear that <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> nobody. I, well, I know you would, and I apologize because uh, you know 
This isn't really help desk. People, I think it sounds like it's a help desk, but believe me, that would be a terrible radio program. People want to have stuff that's going to help them. So certainly one of the things you should do is run MRT right now. Uh, that's the malicious software removal tool. It'll be up to date. Uh, all you have to do is click the start menu. It's, there's no icon for it. Why Microsoft doesn't give you a, you know, a, a desktop icon so you can just run it, I don't know, but they don't. So clicks and by the way, when you down every second Tuesday it runs it, but it runs it in a very kind of quick scan. They don't want to slow you down. You want to run a thorough scan. So if you go click start run, uh, not everybody will have a run command in their start menu. If you don't, you have to go to the uh, control panels and turn that on. It's a setting for your taskbar, your your start button. Start run and then type MRT. Okay. And hit return. That'll launch the malicious software removal tool. It's just MRT, no S. And then do a thorough scan. That's, gonna, that's actually surprisingly effective at finding and sometimes removing stuff. If it finds nothing, go, <sighs> if it finds something and can't remove it, which is sometimes the case because bad guys, you know, they, they hang on with their fingernails, uh, you can go uh, on your working computer to a place called Malwarebytes, B-Y-T-E-S dot org and download the latest version of Malwarebytes. That you can also uh, then copy over to your desktop and run. That's a scanner like the MRT. It's a little more effective, and it's very effective at removing bad guys uh, that the, the MRT won't remove. If both of them come up clean, no problem. Then it's just a settings issue. That's a little more, that's kind of hard for me to walk through that uh, with you. Um, you know, it could be a whole lot of things, including... Um, you know, hard drive, this is this is probably the number one cause of computer issues is the fact that hard drives just kind of flake sometimes. Um, in fact, after the first two years, they flake at the rate of 8% a year, 8% of the drives existing per year. That means, you know, after four years, you know, I don't know, compound it, do the math, like a quarter of all hard drives will have failed. So um, that means, and they don't fail all at once necessarily. It'd be great if a hard drive just died. Because then, but what really happens is they start to become unreliable, or you get bad sectors on it. And if a let's, this is a scenario that could very well be what's happening to you. The hard drive's fine, except that it developed a bad sector that is an unreadable area, right where your critical internet access software lives. You know, Microsoft has, runs a program uh, called the TCP stack for you to access the internet. If that TCP stack loads in from Windows. And, uh, and it doesn't load, or it loads improperly, or there's an error in it, it just won't work. And you will not ever get on the internet. It could be that simple. Uh, so if so, try MRT. Everybody who's having, you know, or worried that they're having uh, issues with malware should try MRT. Cl click start, run, MRT return, then malware bytes. If you have a good antivirus, if you're running Nod32 or another good antivirus, and it's up to date, and you scan and you're clean, then you're fine. Do all of those things. And uh, if everything's clean, then go. Then, then then you have to diagnose the problem elsewhere. But it's always a good idea to, to check for malware from time to time. That's the best I can do for you, Greg. Uh, you can always take your Windows install disk. I hope you have one. This is why I always tell people, don't buy a computer if it doesn't come with a Windows install disk. Really, you, you, you will need one. You will guarantee you, I will, you will need one at some point. Get that Windows install disk, run it, go right through it to the about where ready ready to install windows and it'll say whoa, whoa 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 hold on you got windows already on there would you like me to repair it and you say yes please that may also be sufficient
Dr. Mom is on the line. Dr. Mom uh, is a regular in our chat room. We just adore her. <laughs> it's nice to see you, Dr. Mom. She Hi, is, Leo. She is, her real name is Lillian Banchik. She is a physician. <laughs> Travels an awful lot because she trains other physicians. And uh, you did a little experiment this week. Right. I had a MacBook Air, which I got last year, which I carry around in the hospitals with me to make rounds because I keep a lot of my patient data on Google Docs. Really? Which is per Do you, well, feel, you feel that's secure enough for patient data? Well, the patient's names aren't on it. It's a list of numbers and okay. labs and such. And since it's HTTPS, I don't have an issue with that. Yeah. And that meets HIPAA regulations. It is HIPAA compliant. That's interesting. Okay. That is HIPAA, as long as it's HTTPS, we're HIPAA compliant. And then on the air, I do everything in incognito mode in Chrome. So if somebody takes the machine out of my hands, they open it back up. There's no logon information. There's so this no sounds like a good solution. Well, it's great. I wanted to get an iPad. My sister, who's the big Mac fanboy in the, in the family, had one, loves it. Waited and I, and I love generation. it. I've said many times, and I'm sure you've heard me say, this is the perfect portable computer. It is and it isn't. I will tell you, I picked one up. It's the Black 64 AT&T. I love it. It's wonderful. So I took both of them on the road with me. I was in Houston on Wednesday and then was in D.C. on Thursday, came back home on Friday. So you said, so So let me let me make this, uh, make sure I understand. So you like the MacBook Air, it's working for you, but you wanted to see if the iPad 2 would be a functional replacement for a MacBook Air. It's lighter, it's simpler, no keyboard to carry around. That seems like a good idea. And in fact, it exactly. seems like the kind of thing I've seen physicians carry around tablets for years. Especially because in our healthcare system, we have an electronic medical record right. that gets to the labs, gets to the x-rays. They're setting it up with an application so I can use the MacBook Air to walk around. No, sorry, awesome. not the MacBook Air, the iPad, to walk around the building, hold this in my hand, get all the patient information. Because it's web-based. Uh, no, it's supposed to be an app of some sort. They're okay. beta testing it right now. So they have an app. They've got an app they're working on. Well, I tried it, interestingly enough... I find them complimentary. One's not going to replace the other. Oh, interesting. Because have you tried using anything on Google Docs, particularly the spreadsheets on the iPad? Yeah. It doesn't work very well. The problem seems to be that the browser, Safari, tells the Google, I'm in mobile mode. Right. And you can't edit very well in mobile mode. It has some very funky things. It doesn't give me the functionality I need. They in fact, it didn't edit at all for a long time. They just, they just added editing. Right, and the editing is weird. If you click on a cell, the entire row lights up. Yeah. And you have drop-downs for everything in the row, and that just doesn't work that, very that well. That makes sense. So you need, if you need to edit a Google Doc, I, th I agree with you, an iPad is probably not an ideal. It certainly will be frustrating. Well, what I like is I ca I'll carry around the iPad with me as I walk from patient to patient. I can sit there. I can... Once they get the electronic medical record set up, I can make my notes. I can check labs, look at x-rays and stuff. Then I'll go back to the nurse's station, haul out my air, and do whatever kind of work I need to do. So you do both. I do. Now, what's nice is when I was coming back from Washington, I took the Acela train up. Which Have you ever ridden the train on I the northeast border? I love that. I love the Acela. And the it's iPad has Wi- They have Wi-Fi, so the iPad's perfect for that. Well, I didn't use hold, the Wi-Fi. Hold on, Lillian. we got to take a break. Hold on. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Ozzy Osbourne, crazy train. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. We were talking with Dr. Lillian Banchik about her uh, use of an iPad 2 over a MacBook Air. And uh, she was showing us a video she took on the Acela from Washington to uh, New York at 100 miles an hour of the uh, 
iPad's GPS tracking her in real time. And that arrow just goes whizzing down the road. It's pretty cool. That's really neat. So um, one question I did have, I had to ask you. Well, first of all, let me finish. Let, let you finish, uh, Dr. Mom. Um, before the break, <laughs> you were about to tell me something. I don't remember what it was, but. I, I think it was just about the GPS, what we talked about okay, during the so break. Okay, so it's working very well. Yeah, I, it's certainly usable as a uh, GPS in the car if you don't have one. I use, um, in fact, uh, I use this on the iPhone and the iPad, and I was just, uh, I was just telling one of our chat room uh, members, this is my favorite. This is, you know, there Tom Tom and and others have hundred dollar GPS apps for the iPhone and the iPad, but this one's I think five or six bucks. It's from Motion X GPS Drive. It's the best turn by turn out there, and the reason it's cheap is uh, because it, the maps are Google Maps, so it doesn't. You aren't buying expensive maps. You can buy, you do need to buy the voice for turn by turn, but I think it's only four or five bucks um, a year. There's a subscription for that. It's just, it's really a fantastic uh, program. And because you have the big screen of the iPad, it's the biggest GPS ever. Highly recommended. 20 bucks a year for the voice turn by turn. So five bucks for the app. And if you want the voice guidance, you pay an additional um, price for that. Two ninety nine for 30 days. So if you knew, like you were on a trip and... Uh, you just needed it for a little bit, two ninety nine, nineteen ninety nine, if you want a year. And I actually bought the year. I love it. You could. Oh, the other thing is, you buy it once, and you and you can use it on your iPhone or your iPad, not simultaneously, but you can switch from one to the other. So that's that's pretty nice. Um, I was going to ask you about the use of these kinds of electronics in hospitals because people ask me this all the time. What about germs? I think that's a real issue. I mean, we go into patients' rooms now. Anybody who's been to hospital recently, you see all those dispensers of the alcohol-based hand sanitizers, and you're supposed to sit there. You walk in a room, disinfect your hands. Really? Even, in the, even the doctors are asked to do that now? Oh, absolutely. We're the ones, if a state inspector's in the building and I walk into a room and don't come out and immediately clean my hands, the hospital gets a fine. Wow. They're very fussy about that. It's very easy to transmit bacteria. Is that because of patients. MRSA? Is that because of staff? Well, MRSA's an issue. There's a couple of bugs, but you don't want to transmit anything. Anything. Yeah. I mean, do you, the, the safest place for a sick person to be is home. Absolutely. Because the there's a bunch of sick people in the hospital. <laughs> That's right. I try to get out of there as fast as I can. To me, the big issue is always, I don't think there is a good way to clean these things. No, so you, you can't really squirt it with alcohol. That's not going to... No. I think what's probably going to come up is we're going to have a like a little Ziploc bag with a... A case the covers have put this right they'll be conductive where you can touch through it right you know like the the screens you, the screen protectors you can put on so you can use your finger and then you're going to rip this thing off and change it at every room right now that make it expensive right but that's like rubber gloves for your ipad basically exactly yeah lillian always great to talk to you she's dr underscore mom on uh the twitter and in the chat room and everywhere and, uh, and frankly, is our unofficial but very, very helpful medical advisor on all of my programming because we're always, I don't know how it happens, talking about medical stuff, and she'll go, no, that's not true. <laughs> that's okay. I was at the in Washington talking to some of the biggest nutritionists in the world. You and I are going to have a long talk about your diet. I would like to because I am okay. on the all-meat diet. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. My triglycerides are down. That's, that's expected. I'm losing weight. That's but, expected. But, but, but that, that cholesterol is inching up a little bit. 
That's expected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a misapprehension of how the body uses carbohydrates. I, I would love to talk to you more about that. In fact, maybe well, we'll do a special show off the air, off the radio, but on the uh, Twit Network about that, because uh, we talk a lot about that. Paul Therott and I are on this. Basically, it's Atkins. And uh, mm-hmm. are we killing ourselves, Dr. Mom? Is that what's happening? Let's do this off this show. Cause it's really <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. 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 Thank you, Dr. Mom. Great to talk to you. Okay, nice talking to you L- again. Lillian Van she's the greatest and very helpful in many, many ways. Interesting uh, feedback on replacing a MacBook Air with an iPad. I still prefer to have a keyboard, I got to tell you. Uh, for me, I'm a laptop-focused uh, guy, I guess. I love the iPad, but I don't do anything serious with the iPad. For me, the iPad is really an entertainment device. Uh, you know, I play games on it. Uh, Netflix, uh, Flipboard for reading the news but kind of in a lightweight magazine. It replaces People magazine for me, kind of. Uh, and then things like GPS. But I, but I, if I want to write, if I want to uh, do any work, I think it's really... A, the MacBook Air is almost as light and really as comfortable and has a keyboard. I have to say, though, GarageBand, we've been playing with GarageBand a lot on the new iPad 2. Unbelievable. Un- it's, it's better than on the, on the Macintosh. It's amazing. Jeremy Waterford, Michigan. Thanks for hanging. Jeremy Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Leo. It's such a wonderful pleasure to talk to you. I've been following you since the uh, tech TV days. Oh, thank How you for you? calling. I'm great. Um, I had a question about my droid. I've, I'm actually a PC technician, but I'm very late to the smartphone game. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to throw a plug in there if there's still time. Um, this is probably an easy question, but I've been on Google for a while and couldn't figure it out. Um, uh, since I'm a PC technician, I drive from place to place, and I have um, MP3s on my phone. And I want to know if there's a way that I can actually switch the songs by voice rather than having to wait for a stoplight or something right. before I could switch to MP3. There is. It, it, uh, it's called voice command, and most Android phones will do voice command. And uh, I believe it's a Google app, actually. And the Google app, uh, the voice command app on Google, does allow you to say next, previous, and call for songs by name, things like that. Oh, that's pretty cool, because I've yeah. been searching Google for a while, and it's just seeing even the droid forums, it couldn't seem to find a direct answer. So maybe I'll just give that a shot. I, I think it might, be, it might be that uh, it's either, I'm not sure, let me, let me check, it's either operating system version specific, or it's phone specific. Google released, it's called Voice Actions for Androids. Google released it. The way I do it, and I should try it on your phone, is you press and hold the search button. Okay. And if you just tap the search button, you get the search command. But if you press and hold the search button, you get Voice Actions. And okay. The, and the Voice Actions allow you to do things like, say, next, previous. You can actually send text messages. You can send email. I'll, I'll literally press and hold it and I'd say, Send text to Jim, message, I'm running late, be right there, and it works. Oh, wow. Yeah. You can view a map, you can navigate, you can say navigate to uh, the Grand Canyon, and it, it will launch Google Navigation. You can call with it, of course, that's very important. And by the way, you don't have to call by number, you can call by name. You could say, uh, call Red Hat Pizza, and it'll call Red Hat Pizza. Dad, Dad. I've been doing because I have a Bluetooth. I just hit the side button on my Bluetooth and say "Call Jim" and it will call that person or right. whatnot. But right. I didn't know if there, if I could do the same thing with the music. I tried it and it just didn't seem to really recognize. I, I'm pretty sure next and previous works, but if it doesn't, you certainly can't. I mean, I'm looking at the Google uh, description and you can say "Listen 
to an artist, a song, or an album. Okay. Uh, and and uh, you do have to have 2.2 or later, so you have to be updated. Okay, which and, I do. And then if you go to uh, google.com slash, well, just search for Google Voice Actions or Android Voice Actions, and you can, you, you'll have to download it to your phone. If it's not on there already, I, it's, it was on my phone automatically. I don't, I'm not sure exactly what the story is on that. Okay. Yeah, I have the original Droid, so I'm sure they're not going to put. Oh the yeah, 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 yeah. But it's been updated. Um, yeah, it's got two, two, two on it right okay, now. Okay, good. You're set then. Yeah. So is it okay if I throw in a? Yeah. Quick what's your plug? plug? Yeah. Um. Well, by the way, I'm Jay, the Linux guy, in the chat room. Oh, and hi, I, um, Jay. Book, hi. Um, I wrote a book actually using only open source software. I, I wrote it on Libre, excuse me, LibreOffice, which was upgraded from OpenOffice on Arch Linux while listening to music on Amarok. So I did. The <laughs> you didn't even listen to a proprietary music player. Correct. So and there. I did the whole thing without a single dime of my own money spent, and I think it just kind of goes in line with how easy it is to get stuff out there these days. When you used to have a you know have to have a book deal, but. Um, the name of the book is Orion Tide. It's spelled O-R-I-O-N-T-I-D-E. And it's available on Kindle as well as um, Create Space and Print. How fun. I've always wanted to write a science fiction novel. Yeah, it was a really awesome experience. It's a lot shorter than I wanted it to be because I wasn't sure the, the, the typed version, how it would actually correlate to the print version, but I think I got it down now. But it might be uh, something your readers or your listeners might be into. This if, is great. Um, this Thanks. is great. It's OrionTide.com, O-R-I-O-N-T-I-D-E.com. Uh, the print version, the Amazon Kindle version, the Shams Word version, all online there. Good for you. I'm going to read it. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're I very welcome. Thank you, Jeremy. In fact, when I come back, I'll tell you about a, a podcast, open source podcast, where they narrate open source books like yours. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 8888-ASK-LEO is the number winding down, though, uh, today. Don't forget to watch that big moon in the sky. And speaking of big moons, <laughs> here he is, Dick Bartolo, the Gizwiz. Hey, Leo. Hi, Dick. How are you? I'm super fine. So um, tell me, my friend, you got a gadget for us? Dick, I should explain, is uh, Mad Magazine's maddest writer. Uh, he has a great website, gizwiz.biz, and uh, joins us every week to talk about gadgets. He's also uh, the host of our brand new podcast, the Weekly Daily Gizwiz. Yes, we're doing that, right? Because uh, Lisa wanted to do the monthly Weekly Daily Gizwiz. No, I think I weekly said, no, is probably we're... sufficient. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to cut you back that much, Dick. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's your gadget today? Our gadget today is something we talked about on a Daily Gizwiz show, and I think you may have ordered one as we talked about it. I had a guest in the studio. He ordered one as we talked about it. I probably did. I always do that. Right. Well, it's from Skosh. That's actually two different devices. The Flip Sync Keychain UBS charging devices. The Flip so, Sync uh, Keychain USB charging device. Good Lord, that's a you long You ordered one? Uh, they're, I they're think I did. Yeah. Oh, okay. They're the size of uh, the little alarm button on your keychain for your car, except on one of them, when you pull down on one side, there's the 30-pin iPod connector, and on the other side is a little USB connector. Isn't that clever? So in that, 
tiny little package, you can carry that on your keychain if you want. And then there's the second version is USB on one end, and on the other end is both a micro USB and a mini USB. So that's in the flip that sync too. That's yes, exactly. And these guys now, someone wrote me and said, "What are you talking about? Ten dollars? They want twenty dollars here." So it turns out he was in Canada. So well, you know who else wants twenty bucks? Apple sells it in their store, and they want 20 bucks too. So don't buy it from Apple. Who should you buy it from? Well, you know, I did a web search, and, and uh, Amazon came up with five different places that was selling it between $9.99 and $12. So you don't want to pay the 20-buck list price. But uh, I'm going to throw these in my uh, little travel bag because you don't have to worry that you left those big, long cables home. Uh, because especially the little USB to the to the micro and the mini. Everybody uses micro now. That's the kind of the flatter of the two. And that seems to be, well, I'll tell you one reason. Um, the uh, European Union is now requiring all cell phones support micro USB charging. So all the new cell phones are micro USB, which, which except for Apple, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And then they go, let's do 30 pins. Let's do 30 yeah, pins. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's too, too small. So yes. if that's why I almost don't feel like I need both. I really, if I, I just had the micro, I'd be happy. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, okay. I'll, I'll take the mini. Yeah, well, you know what? Every once in a while, I have a, an old gadget that uh, requires... I think my sense of view still uses the old uh, um, uh, micro, not the mini. Right, so. right. They're, they're, so I, I think they're phasing those, was, those guys out, though. For 10 bucks. Well, you're on the cutting edge, so. <laughs> Dick's website is gizwiz.biz. You have a great contest there called What the Heck Is It? A Chance to Win an Autographed Copy of Mad Magazine. And we've started, the, for March, we started a new What the Heck Is It? game. This is a, this is a tough one. Although, you know, the, the best ones are ones where you're pretty sure you know what it is, but you're wrong. And this, is, this one's like that. Yes. I, I look yes. at it and I go, oh, I know what that is, but I don't think, I don't know if I'm right. You're so tricksy. Well, that's the object, pal. Yeah. What do you want me to do? Just give away meds? <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, I okay. think I know what that is. It looks like a flying saucer, but uh, I think I know what that is. But uh, oh, well, I'll tell you what. Here's the deal. You know, I can't remember. Have you ever gotten any of them absolutely correct? Yes, once. Many okay. moons ago, I think. Okay, yeah, the, the pencil sharpener. <laughs> yeah. I never should have left all those little shavings in the picture. <laughs> I knew what that was. If you go to gizwiz.biz, click the what the heck is it uh, button there. Uh, the new March-April game has just started. 12 people will win for the correct answer, but here's the deal. 24 win for the best cute answer. So it's yes. almost better not to be correct. You have a better chance of winning. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, you know, I also wanted to mention Alfred may run for president. So if people want to follow him on Twitter, he's Alfred E. Newman, N-E-U-M-A-N. He sent me an email that he may throw his baseball cap in the ring. So. It's a little premature. I mean, the election's not for another year and a half. Yeah, I know. He knows I'm working that, right? on his, I'm working on his platform right now. <laughs> it's 8 by 12, and it's plywood, and it's pretty nifty. Do you use a hammer with that? or, is, or is yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. A gavel. A ga it's, it's, more, uh, it's more political. Dick D. Bartolo, thank you. Hang in there. We're going to be right back to you and uh, and get our podcast going. The daily, weekly, daily Gizwiz. 
or the monthly, weekly, daily Gizwiz. We the got a new monthly, weekly, daily. <laughs> we got a new theme. I love too. By the way, have you heard yes, that? Yes, yes. Yeah. We have everything's new. Everything's but new. But it's going to sound really old. And that's the beauty of it. Yes, isn't it? <laughs> Dick, hang in there. We'll be right back. Well, hey, 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 how are you today? Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. And it's time to talk about tech. That means computers, the internet, sure. Cell phones, yeah. Camcorders, of course. Digital photography, you bet. Home theater, of course. We've got Scott Wilkinson coming up at about uh, 33 after the hour to talk home theater. Chris Marquardt to talk photography. It's all coming up. On the Tech Guy Show, I am Leo Laporte, and I will take your calls. Of course, that's really the heart and soul of this show is us conversing about digital technology. The phone number, 8888-ASK-LEO, 888-827-5536. I want to talk today in my morning sermon, my Sunday sermon, about three words. Barrier to entry. I've been thinking about this. Barrier to entry. I've been thinking about this after having a conversation uh, with a very well-known uh, social media guy and a marketer. His name is Jeremiah Oyang. Uh, and I was talking to him as we flew back from South by Southwest, which we're back from Austin, broadcast from Austin last weekend. I think you remember. And uh, South by Southwest is a really wonderful, fun trade show where uh, uh, it's, it's mostly uh, new web companies and people who want to be a new web company showing up to show off what they can do, um, showing... Uh, telling others how to do it, that kind of thing. And traditionally at um, these events, uh, at least in the last few years, big companies have broken out for the first time. Best known, of course, Twitter in 2000, uh, I think it was 2007, South by Southwest, spring of 2007, four years ago. Uh, nobody had ever heard of Twitter. Uh, and somehow, uh, magically, um, Everybody at South by Southwest discovered it at the same time and started using it at the same time, and Twitter became huge. Well, you know, and the rest is history. Twitter is, you know, is, is like Facebook. It's an institution, not only in this country, but around the world. During the uh, earthquake and tsunami in Japan, it was Twitter that uh, not only that many people learned about it, but uh, many people followed it through Twitter. And there are people like um, NPR's Andy Carvin, amazing, uh, who uses, he, he doesn't, if you want to follow him on Twitter, it's fascinating, A-C-A-R-V-I-N. Even if you don't have a Twitter account, it's worth going to twitter.com slash A-C-A-R-V-I-N. It started, I think, in Tunisia. He, he's a journalist, but he started curating links and information from a lot of sources, including others' tweets, on Twitter, then Egypt, then the quake. He's covering Libya now. And so what happens if you follow his feed is you get this great source of uh, wonderful information, curated information with some editorial as well on top of it, that I think is a, is a, is a new form of reporting. I mean, it's brand new. In 2000, uh, that's, so that's Twitter. So in 2000, uh, was it nine, I think? Uh, Foursquare, which is, is still kind of an inside geek thing, I think, but uh, it's, a, it's growing very rapidly. I think they had four million new users last year. It's a it's one of those check-in things where you you go and you say I'm here. <laughs> I use it, but and a lot of my friends, my geek friends, use it. Uh, then then the next year was another a similar service, Gowalla, which was Austin based. This year, we I was talking with Jeremiah on the plane, and I said, "Well, what did you say? was was there a standout? No. Uh, nobody saw a standout." And I said, "Jeremiah, what happened? 
I said, it seems like, I said, to me, it seems like there were so many companies, no one of them could succeed. He said, yes. The problem is the barrier to entry is too low. And I thought, well, that's interesting. What is this barrier to entry? Well, the, you know, the, the, in the old days of media, there was a pretty high hurdle. You had to jump to become a mogul. You had to have enough money to build a radio station and get a license from the FCC, or you had to have enough money to build a TV station or, you know, a record studio, a book publishing empire. There was literally a, a mere handful of people over the last hundred years who controlled media. Absolutely. You know, the William Randolph Hearsts of the world, and they were all uh, oligarchs. They were wealthy plutocrats. They were... <laughs> What other Latin words can I use? They were rich folk who had enough money. They were capitalists to do this. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that there, it wasn't like everybody had a shot at this. You know, you had to work your way up. And, it, and I, you know, I certainly was, uh, was part of this system. And when I got into radio 30 years, 30 plus, oh, should I really say, 35 years ago, uh, I had to talk one of these rich folk into letting me on the air, letting me use his valuable transmitter and FCC license to, to do my work. If you wanted to be a reporter, you had to convince a newspaper publisher who didn't necessarily hold journalism or the news in the highest regard. He had a business. And uh, he knew that he that you were the you were the sausage he was selling, but <laughs> but he didn't much care he didn't much care about the quality of it as long as he could put those display ads in there. That's who run ran our uh, media, and that's who really, in many ways, effectively shaped our national discourse, uh, what we know about things. It was a very high barrier to entry. Well, it's pretty obvious things have changed. And I hear people complain, not, and not just the old media types. Of course, they don't like it at all. You, the Rupert Murdochs of the world are just shaking their fists in fury. They hate it that everybody can now create a newspaper or, or, you know, with a blog or create a television station with YouTube or create a radio station with podcasts. They hate that. And they say, it's all junk. Eh, we, we're the keepers of quality, of editorial quality. No, that's not true. Don't, don't believe it. The barrier to entry is, is effectively almost zero. If you have a computer and access to the Internet, you can do it. So what Jeremiah was saying is it's so easy to create a startup these days. It's almost free that there are so many more startups. It's very, very, very difficult to stand head and shoulders above the rest. Isn't that that's true? We see that. Uh, I hear people say that all the time. Well, there's too much content. How do we know what's good? How do we know what's good? There's, there's too much on YouTube. What, how, what is the latest figure? I'll have to go to YouTube and find out. They published this stat. Last time I saw every minute, 24 hours of videos uploaded to YouTube. Well, that means... Not only can you not watch it all, it's hard to even conceive of it all. And it's only going up. But does that mean that uh, it's just a big bunch of noise? No, well, there's a lot of noise, but no, I don't think so, because there's also signal in that noise. There's also value in that noise. And uh, if, you, if you accept the notion that, let's say, well, Theodore Sturgeon, sci-fi writer and, uh, and uh, curmudgeon, <laughs> once said that, 80% of everything is, he used a stronger word, but I'll just say uh, junk. 80% 80 80 of everything is junk. So I'd say 90% of everything is junk. Well, that means 10% is not junk, is good. And maybe of that, another 1% uh, of everything is really good. 
Well, if there's a lot more of everything, that means there's a lot more 10% and 1%. So the question is, how it becomes, how do you find this stuff? The barrier to entry is low. Anybody who has something to say can do it. You can get a video camera and make a video on YouTube. You can start a blog for free. You can uh, record your own music now. You can do it on the iPad. Yeah, but you still need you know a little bit of an investment in technology. But if you have access to the Internet and a computer or even a, an inexpensive iPad, you can do it. So everybody has a chance to have a voice. And then the question becomes, well, how do we find the good stuff? And this is, what's, this is where we're starting to make some great strides. And Andy Carvin's a good example. It's something, a word called curation. Andy and others like him will go through, and you find, you find your curators, the ones you like, will go through all this stuff and find the good stuff and let you know. Your friends are curating for you right now. If you're on Facebook, you look at the stuff they link to or they talk about, that's curation. And if you use these tools like Twitter and Facebook properly, you can get an amazingly rich, valuable stream of information. So don't listen to the people who say, oh, the barrier entry is too low. Jo Jeremiah, to his credit, was not saying it's too low. He just said that's why you don't see a, a winner in South by Southwest. Everybody's involved. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. It means more great stuff. And the only challenge for us is to find it. And that's what we do here. So if you want to join me in that search, you can call in with a great website or a great blog or a video you saw. Or you can ask about how to use this technology so you have a voice. That's what we do here. 8888-ASK-LEO is my number. The lines are open. I'm Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. Leo, you can see your calls, right? Yep. So you are open. Leo Laporte. The Tech Guy, 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the number. Toll free from anywhere in the U.S. of A, 888-827-5536. Outside the U.S., still toll free. Just use Skype out to call that number, and because it's a toll free number, it won't cost you a cent. Bill in Encino, California. Let's get our first call in the air here. Hi, Bill. Leo Laporte, The Tech Guy. Hi, how you doing? I'm great. Welcome. Thank you. Um been listening since before you had the show, so... <laughs> ah, it. Yeah, it was Jeff Levy on uh, KFI many moons yeah, ago. Yeah, I have even forgotten his name. Yeah, I started in 2004 when Jeff went to a uh, different station in L.A. Is he still there? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> he kind, I never of, knew he kind of disappeared into obscurity. I hate to say it. I don't mean, I don't mean him any ill. I actually uh, was a guest on his show many times. I like Jeff a lot. Right. But, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I didn't really follow... What happened after he left? But this has been so much fun. I've been doing this show now for seven years. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. I think show. it's the longest time I've ever held a job. <laughs> like me. <laughs> hey, you know, kids today, I was talking to my, uh, my daughter. She's in college. And uh, I said, you'll probably, Abby, you'll probably have three or four different careers. She, I said, by the time you're my age, you'll have done many different things. Because she's trying to decide in college, I don't know. I love, I love writing poetry, but I love biochem. And I love, and I'm very interested in politics, and I want to have a master's in public. And she's got all these things that she's very interested in. And I said, don't worry about it. Do the one you like best now, and 10 years you'll be doing something different anyway. That's the modern, that's the modern world now. I've, I'm 70 now, and I've had about a half a dozen careers. See, there you go. I think that's I got great. a new one. What's your new career? Uh, irrigation design and installation. And I'm still a, a licensed plumber, although I don't... You don't like practice, not practicing. <laughs> You know, it, it's interesting because I talked to Maurice Sendak, the great uh, children's book illustrator. Yeah. Remember, he did Where the Wild Things Are. And he uh -huh. had become um, a set designer for opera. 
at the time. And I and he said, "Oh yeah, you should change your you should change your career significantly every ten years, or you'll get stale." And I thought, here's a guy who's probably the most at the time successful children's book illustrator of all time. And he said, "Nah, I'm going to do opera sets." Yeah, well, that's the way it's been with me. Uh, longest I've been in anything is 15 years, and before that, seven years. So isn't that great? Well, then maybe it's. T I'm not moving on. I don't. I don't want. <laughs> what can I do for you, Bill? Great. Anyway, I mentioned the under house situation, and what I like to do now, since it's a little harder for me to crawl under houses nowadays is to have someone do it, but I have to be able to see what he's doing down there sometimes. And I'm trying to find out if I can get a somewhat decent webcam, wireless and, and wired both, with light, that I can attach to my PC or desk, uh, PC, Windows, right. operating system, laptop, computer, whatever, and observe what's going on and give instructions and it's, et cetera. <clears throat> I guess you're going to have to bring some light down there. Most of these don't do very well in low light. But he could wear, you know, he could wear just like a little helmet light. Yeah, they almost always have a light with sure, him. Sure, of course that. they do. What am I thinking? He's not going down in the dark. <laughs> I'll tell you, my favorite webcam uh, out there, it's wired, though, uh, but my favorite one right now is the Logitech uh, webcams. These are just fantastic uh, and very inexpensive. The, um, uh, uh, the C, th I think it's 310. Let me look at the numbers because they keep changing the numbering scheme. The 310 is 50 bucks. It's high def, um, and it does. Uh, they do. They do really well in, in relatively low light. Although you know, with it, if you've got light down there, low light's not going to be the issue. Um, so that's one I would recommend. But that's wired, and wireless is a little trickier. Uh, let me think about this. You know, we used uh, we've used a number of wireless cameras. Right now, we're using a wireless camera. See, it still needs power though. You'd need wireless with a battery. Right. And the problem is it would only make sense to use it if uh, it also has a light source, which means they have to have a pretty good power supply. I'm sure they make, you know, I mean, they make snakes with cameras on them. Yeah, I used to use those, but those are thousands of dollars for a setup. Right. Yeah, this, I mean, 50 bucks for the 310, and this is a great camera. We actually use it for broadcast. Uh, in fact, I know a lot of people do broadcast. I know. Somebody just made a great suggestion. Yeah. Um, it, it, a, a smartphone. <laughs> what am I thinking? They're wireless. Uh, you could use, for instance, um, an Apple iPhone with FaceTime running. <laughs> you, you, you could buy cases that have lights. They're not very bright, but they might be bright enough for what you're pointing at. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting to where I'm going to break down probably in the next few months and get some kind of a smartphone. Yeah, you give them a smartphone, you have an iPad on the other end. Uh, you, uh, now, the problem with that is you need Wi-Fi also, so you'd have to get a Wi-Fi uh, wi unit that used... You know, uh, you could get a MiFi, the Verizon um, or Sprint MiFi, which is a wireless access point that uses 3G, and then you'd both join that wireless access point. You'd be on the same Wi-Fi network. You could have your iPad... At that end, so you get a nice big screen. This is actually a great solution. And you have your iPad at that set. Now, it's, it's a little pricey, but on the other hand, you get a smartphone and you get an iPad, so you probably don't mind spending a little money on that. They do a lot of other things. There are companies like Axis. We've used the Axis uh, cameras, but they still are wired because, um, like the uh, Perk is telling me in the chat room, the Axis 1054 uses power over Ethernet. But still, you're going to have an Ethernet wire. It does have a built-in LED, LED light. Axis makes some really interesting wireless cameras, but at some point you need to give them power. I don't know if they make any battery uh, cameras. 
Yeah, actually, I prefer wired in the long run. Yeah, I mean, look at if there's a guy down there, you can you could trail a Ethernet cable out behind him. <laughs> right. Right. That's how he finds his way back. It's like breadcrumbs. Just follow the follow the cable. <laughs> you ever lose anybody under there? Uh, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I would say uh, if you're willing to get an iPhone or a similar smartphone, that's a pretty good choice. I think the iPhone has a great camera. It has uh, does have a built-in light, but you could buy cases that would add more light to it, like the Mophie case, which also give it more battery life. And then you have a laptop, or um, you need, but you need, again, you need to set up your own ad hoc wireless uh, network. Um, here is the GE. This is interesting. It's from the chat room. Cheap too. The GE. Wait a minute. That's a mock camera. No wonder it's so cheap. It's a fake camera. <laughs> It has a flashing red LED, but doesn't have an actual camera. Designed, thanks, chatroom. Designed to look like a component of a working surveillance system. No wonder it's battery operated. There's nothing in there. I'm sure somebody must make battery operated. But I, I think I like this idea of the iPhone, the iPad, and a MiFi. And you'd look very, very fancy. You could use an iPod Touch too, actually. But uh, and that camera's okay too. Cheaper. Okay. That's, That's my thought, I'll, and I'll keep looking in the chat room. Chat room's great, except when they don't read, read the copy too care, carefully. Here's another one. This is from Security. Go ahead. I want to go with the wire, wired one. The Logitech webcam is the one you recommend. Yeah, absolutely. Like now, the problem with that is the wire is a USB cable, so you only can go about 150 feet. Uh, if, if you're going to go farther, than, and that's pretty far to go crawling under a house, but if you, need to go, if you need to go farther, there are Ethernet-based uh, cameras from Axis that get their power from the Ethernet cable, and that can go hundreds of feet. Okay. Yeah, we uh, I have yet to be in a house where I... Yeah, that's pretty far. Access. Nobody <laughs> wants to crawl more than 150 feet under a house. I used to do that when I went caving, but... <laughs> yeah, but cavers would be interested in this, too. This is a, this would be a good application for cavers. Bill, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for calling. Yeah. Our chat room is, uh, is at thetechguylabs.com if you want to go in there and read their recommendations. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Cameron in Philly, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Cameron. Hey, Leo, how are you? I'm great. Welcome to the show. What can I do for you? Hey, I have this uh, small church. I'm trying to help them out, and they, um, they're trying to stream their services online, and right now they're having a little problem. The software they're using is called Cool Edit, but it's not really working well. Oh, they want to stream know. audio, not video. Say it again? They just want to stream audio? No, video, everything. Okay. Video not. Do they want to switch it, have multiple cameras, or just have one camera on the on the preacher and just leave it? Say again? They have two cameras. Two cameras. So now they need switching and streaming. Right. Okay. Uh, are they using a service like Justin TV or Ustream or something like that? No, they're using this program called Cool Edit, and I'm not sure how they really... That's an know. audio editing program. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they're... K C O O L E D I T. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I thought maybe your audit audit audio. Um, what would you recommend? Well, they've got two problems. They've got to switch it, which uh -huh. uh, which means they're probably going to use something like Wirecast or Boinks. I'd take a look at Wirecast. W I R E C A S T. Mm -hmm. It's uh it's uh, from Telestream. It's not cheap, but it's but at least it works on a regular Mac or PC to do the switching, and they can add lower thirds, you know, those graphics at the bottom, things like that. I use a TriCaster from NewTek. A lot of churches use TriCasters, but they're they're 
dedicated hardware, maybe a little more expensive. You know what? Let's hang on, because I, I want to talk more about the options open to him, Cameron. So hang on, and we'll talk about that in a second. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Well, a good day to you. Leo Laporte here, the tech guy, and I am so happy to hear from you. 8888-ASK-LEO if you've got a comment or question. We're talking about all sorts of technology stuff. How to use technology in your life, how to change the world with technology, how to find great content with technology. It's all kind of grist for the mill. Phone number 888-827-5536. We've been talking to Cameron. He's in Philadelphia. He's helping out his church. They want to broadcast. I guess they are broadcasting uh, services right now. They have two cameras. They want to stream it on the Internet. And one thing I was saying, Cameron, is there is a software solution. You buy a computer and you put a program called Wirecast on it. And it lets you do this kind of thing. I think a lot of churches use Wirecast. It's about 500 bucks. You will have to buy hardware for it. Uh, the nice thing is you could try before you buy. There's a $500 version, actually 450 bucks, and a $1,000 version. And uh, I would say the, the, the 450 version is fine. Because what you're really doing is you're switching from camera one to camera two. And you can have more cameras. And you're adding, you know, lower thirds. Or uh, lower thirds can also be full screen graphics. So if you're if there's a hymn and you're singing a hymn, you could put the hymn on screen, the lyrics on screen, or you could have it uh, in the lower third, which is not even a third of the screen. I don't know why they call it a lower third, but that's that bar at the bottom of the screen you see on TV. So Telestream makes that. Um, there's another solution, which is a solution I use and I really like, it's called the TriCaster. And I know a lot of churches use it, uh, high school sports, college sports. Even the NBA is now using a TriCaster. Um, and this is a whole PC uh, with some special hardware and software on it that lets you do the same thing. It's maybe a little easier to set up. And I think if you price it out, you could probably get a used TriCaster for the same amount of money you'd spend to set up a Wirecast solution. Um, but I think it would... It'd be pretty good for you. It has built-in live streaming, by the way. Cool. The issue on live streaming is who, you, how many people are going to watch? You don't have enough bandwidth probably to stream enough for your... Uh... Well, they're kind of small. Um, I mean, I don't know what the audience is like, but they're pretty much 150 people, very small. Yeah, well, 150 people uh, and a decent quality stream will be about a half a megabit per person. So that's 75 megabits. That's very expensive. You can't, you really can't do that. You know, I'll give you an example. I'm spending $1,000 a month in our new studios for, th for a 20 megabits. So you're talking $5,000 or more a month. Yikes! That's why people use Ustream. <laughs> Ustream.tv. Now, sometimes churches are a little funny about this because they, they look at the other content on Ustream and they may get a little... They may, now, Ustream is not adult by any means. But, you know, it's not, it's not all church goers either. But I wouldn't worry about that. You embed it on your church site. They never see the rest of Ustream. It's free. And all you have to do is send one stream. That's, that's 500 kilobits one stream out to Ustream and they rebroadcast they even have a program that might be sufficient for you called the uh, Ustream producer oh, cool. so Ustream or just we use Ustream and Justin Ustream.tv and Justin.tv both of them are free which I love and I think a lot of churches uh, use them as well and we certainly have had great results with both I mean we if you watch us on live.twit.tv 
you're watching Ustream, Justin, or another company called BitGravity. All three of, you know, we give you three choices. You can pick the one you want. Yeah, I'm watching them right now. Yeah. So it looks pretty good. Ustream Producer is basically a uh, simple version of Wirecast. Okay. So I would I would look at, you know, that'd be my, for the simplest thing, you, you got a PC, you could do it on a, a laptop. Well, you need to have to have two cards because you have to have two cameras. Um, but, but try Ustream Producer and Ustream and, and see if that works for you. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks, Cameron. Great to talk to you. I think it's nice that you're helping that church do that. Um, and those 150 parishioners will be very happy. Don't be surprised if it goes from 150 to 1,500 or 10,000. Uh, that's one of the advantages of being on somewhere like Ustream is you're, now you're in a directory, and if people are searching for church services, they may well find you. You, you actually can grow, uh, grow your church and reach, uh, reach an audience that is not just in Philadelphia but is all over the world. I mean, this, was, this is the discovery that really I made. In, in, when I started uh, podcasting this radio show first in 2005, I think it was. No, actually, it was 2004. Podcasting didn't even exist as a concept until September 2004 when uh, Adam Curry kind of created the, the notion. I mean, it had existed before that other people had been doing it, kind of proto-podcasters. But Adam Curry really said, hey, there's a thing. We're going to call it podcasting. And he wrote a little program that lets you download these shows automatically. I found out about it the next month, October 2004. And I'd already been offering these radio shows as edited downloads, MP3 downloads on the, on the site, techguylabs.com. And I remember, I'll never forget, a, a kid named Matthew Bischoff. I think he was 14 at the time. So he's 21 now, right? Uh, called me or sent me an email said, Hey, how come you don't podcast? I said, what's that? <laughs> Matthew said, well... You take your audio that you're putting out on MP3. He probably didn't talk like that. I don't know how he talked. They talked like this. You take your audio that you put out on MP3, and you create something called an RSS feed. That means really simple syndication. It's a way people can subscribe. This is before iTunes. iTunes didn't even exist. This is a way, or at least it didn't support podcasting. It's a way you can subscribe to a download so that when there's a new show, it automatically downloads to your computer and from there can get onto your iPod or other portable device. I said, well, that's, that seems like a good idea. I mean, certainly I know there are people who, you know, we have 20,000, 30,000 people downloading the show every week. I think it'd be a convenience for them if they could just put this into a program and automatically download it. They don't have to go to the website and find it first. And it was very simple to create that RSS feed. I did it by hand at first. And it really did increase the number of downloads. It was great. So we added a few shows and a few shows. Now we're doing 20 or 30, 30 shows. And we added video and we added streaming. And, uh, you know, it grows from there. Suddenly, instead of the few thousand people who listened, we have tens of thousands. Actually, I think it's 50,000 uh, people a show that download the show. And it's all, and this is the important thing for you, Cameron, it's all over the world. You know, the show at the time was just in Los Angeles, but I had listeners in China because it's now it's on the Internet. It's being distributed on the Internet. It suddenly opens up the whole world to what you do. So that's pretty amazing. Now, the chat room saying, you don't call them podcasts. Well, I, you know, early on, I said, I don't like the name podcast because it implies you have to have an iPod. And I, I would at the time I would be, you know, proselytizing. I'd be uh, evangelizing for podcasts, telling people about it. People would say, well, I'd love to do that, but I don't have an iPod. And I, it was like, oh, you don't have, 
We just call it that. Adam Curry just called it that because he, he thought it rhymed with broadcast and he thought it would be cute. I tried for the longest time to get all the podcasters to change it. I, I, I remember speaking early on at Podcast Expo saying, please, let's call it Netcast. Nobody, everybody laughed at me. They mocked me. They said, it's podcast. Everybody knows it as podcast. And part of the problem I saw was, well, it's not just going to be downloadable audio. It's not just going to be on iPods. We're streaming video. What do you call that? It's not a podcast. If you want to watch this show live, you can on the internet. What is that called? So I decided, we'll just call them shows. <laughs> it's a show. And, you know, nobody, nobody, you don't talk about uh, a TV show as uh, by the means that you're getting it. You don't care whether it's on the internet, the cable, the satellite. You don't say, I'm watching a satellite show. You're watching a show on your TV. So this is a show. I, there is <laughs> Nomenclature is not that important, except that if you call it a podcast, then people say, well, I don't have an iPod. 8888-ASK-LEO, 888-827-5536. That's the phone number. Call this show. <laughs> I guess we do. You know, radio show, that's how it's delivered. It's a radio show. But isn't that limiting? You don't have to, no longer do you have to listen to this on the radio. You can listen on your phone. Is it still a radio show? No, it's it's a show. 8888-ASK-LEO, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Matthew Rancho Cook. Cucamonga, California, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Leo. Thank you for taking my call, first of all. My pleasure. Um, I have a problem with my computer. It's very, it's like three years old. It's slow. Um, I know I should get more RAM. I only have two gigs, but I don't know how to do anything. I don't I, think I two gigs is necessarily why it's slow. Okay. Uh, what version, what Windows Opera version are you using? I have Vista. Okay. Vista's is kind of a pig anyway. Um, yeah. But two gigs is enough for Vista. Okay. It, is it slower than it was when you got it? It's it, it has its good days and its bad days. <laughs> the day of the time change, last week or whatever, it was slow as molasses. Really? So it comes and goes. Yeah. I, they have, well, there's a couple of things. First of all, Windows 7 is much faster than Vista, so if you ever thought about upgrading, this might be a good time to do that. Okay, well... Let me ask about that. I just got Carbonite, so all my documents and everything is are backed up now. If I was going to install Windows 7, could I format my hard drive? I could format my hard drive and then install it, but I've heard you talk about installing two different, making a partition, and I don't know how to do that, and having your documents on one side and having your OS and something That's else. That's a, really, a really good thing to do. It's not necessary, but I like to do that on all of my computers. The reason being, when you then install an operating system, you don't have to worry about your data. You can format the, the drive and everything and then reinstall the operating system, and your data is still there. Okay. So that you can do with the Windows installer. When you're looking at the disk, you'll, you'll see there's an, there's an additional button, advanced features, and you can actually delete, and I would do this, delete all the partitions, create new partitions, uh, a fairly small one for Windows. Windows will fit in 25 gigs. <laughs> Hard to believe that's a called a small partition. Uh, and then, and then uh, the, use the rest for data. And then that way when you reinstall... The thing is, if you have a lot of apps, you might want to give more space to the Windows partition because you do want to install apps in the Windows partition. It's much, much easier. Just keep your data separate. Will the wizard help me on this? Or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's, all in the, it's, all, it's very easy to do. Okay, so if I just buy a Windows 7 disk, it'll have all this. Absolutely. It, it, during the install, it'll give you a chance to partition. 
It's great okay. that you have a backup. Make sure your carbonite backup is complete and also, you know, do a kind of sampling check-in, make sure you got everything you think. Because sometimes people think they've got it backed up and it's not, they didn't back up everything. And, you know, so you want to make sure. In fact, I'd still, if I were you, I'd, uh, you got the carbonite, I'd also get an external drive and backup to that. It's a laptop, right? Okay. Yeah, it's a laptop. Yeah, it's always a good idea. More, I, you can never have too many copies of your data. Okay. I have a specific question about another laptop I have that crashed a couple of years ago. It has uh, work data on it that I might need to get off, and um, when I boot it, it'll go to a black screen and it won't get past that. And I took it to a guy, and he said that the motherboard is dead. Uh, can Spinrite help me with that? Possibly. So what you now would do is you get the, it's a laptop, so you're going to take the hard drive out if you can. And you're going to need to mount that hard drive on a PC. You're going to need some additional hardware because laptops have a different connection than PC hard drives. Uh, okay. That's why you bring it to a shop. A guy in a shop will have all those tools. He'll put it in a working PC, and chances are, if it's a dead motherboard, he'll be able to see the contents of the drive and copy it. Okay. If the drive is damaged, depending on the kind of damage, Spinrite, which is a, a program we've talked about before, my friend Steve Gibson uh, wrote it, it's... Uh, it's a hard drive recovery tool, but it works at, at the lowest level. It works at the sector level. So what it does is it, it tries to read every sector one by one on the hard drive. It doesn't care if there's data on it or not. It just tries to read and write it. If it can't, it will copy the data off of it and mark it unusable. And often, if there's just, you know, that's sufficient to kind of make the drive usable again. In, in your case, I think you just want to get somebody to pull the data off of it. And a, and a good shop will have that capability. That's something that's something pretty standard. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Let's see if we can get a couple more in here before I have to get out of town. Donald in Carpinteria, California. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Donald. Hey, Leo. Um, how you doing? I'm great. Lee. Thanks for calling. Okay, before we start, can I plug my show? What is your show? I'm talking to a podcast we've talked before, the anime podcast. Oh, yes. And we just got our iPhone. OS app approved in the App Store. Wow, that's cool. So what's the iOS app? It lets you watch the show or listen to the let show? Let you watch the show, um, lets you uh, view our Twitter feed, uh, lets, gives you information on how to contact us, um, lets you read our blog posts. Dude, sort of it sounds like you own the Otaku Space. I'm trying. That's awesome. I'm so, I'm so happy for you, Donald. Otaku No Podcast, O-T-A-K-U-N-O. NOPodcast.com. It's all things anime and manga, so if you're into that Japanese cartoon art form, uh, that's the show for you. recorded an episode yesterday uh, uh, recapping the, the horrific, horrific events in Japan, and I'm going to probably be putting that out on the feed later this afternoon. Oh, that's something to listen to, yeah. Thank you for doing that. Do you have friends in Japan? Uh, we have friends in Japan. We have some listeners in Japan. Yeah. All right. So well, I wanted to call today about the iPhone 4. I yeah. just got the Verizon iPhone 4, and I'm loving it. Good. Um, I, I had a unique opportunity uh, a couple weeks ago. A friend of mine came down to visit who has the AT&T iPhone 4, and we kind of, you know, wander around various parts of Southern California, and every, consistently everywhere we went, um, I, I got better signal, and I haven't had a single drop call yet. Wow. Now, his data... That's, when that's it, saying something on an iPhone, I'll tell you. Yeah. Now, his data, when it worked, was faster than mine, but the CDMA isn't terribly slow. It's, it's okay, you know. So. Yeah. And, the, you know, data speeds vary so much depending on things that are not the phone's fault. 
like how many other users there are on that cell tower. It's very hard and to get a consistent 3G uh, network. And as far as I can tell, I can't find any sort of antenna gate problem. I mean, I've tried, I've tried holding the thing like five or six different ways. and I'll tell I've you the never... truth on that. It, this, this, your mileage really will vary depending on where you are. Uh, we, I've seen Verizon iPhones that do have that issue, but it's in areas where Verizon's marginal. So the, pr the real problem, and this is why so many people disputed even that the antenna gate problem was real, is if you're in an area where you're getting a strong signal, you're not going to notice it. It's only in marginal areas. Now, that's one area Verizon does have a leg up, I think. They have better coverage, especially in the Southland. Southern California, better coverage than anybody else. So you're, you might be hard-pressed to have problems with Verizon in Southern California, but then you go to other parts of the country, and it's, and it's worse than AT&T. So that's why I say nowadays, choose the carrier, then the phone. Right. I mean, I can, you know, uh, we have some Verizon iPhones in the studio, and I, I hear plenty of people who have dropped calls in Verizon and so forth. So I'm not sure that it's the, you know, I, I still think it's a combination of hardware and carrier. I don't think any either Apple or AT&T is to blame. But I'm glad you're getting better results on your Verizon iPhone. That's great. Very, very happy with it. Yeah, that's a good recommendation. The people here uh, in the where I am in Petaluma <laughs> say it's no better. They're dropping calls. They're having the same problems. So I, you know, it's it's not it's not AT&T alone. It's not the iPhone alone. It's a little bit of both, I think. Well, Donald, thank you for calling. I appreciate the review. Uh, certainly, if you have a, if you live in an area where Verizon's a strong carrier, go for it. Absolutely, go for it. But I might point out that, that that while we have no inside information, I know nothing. I think it's a pretty good bet that there will be a new iPhone in a couple of months, and I think that you can pretty much guarantee it will have this new A5 chip, and it'll be faster. I don't think it'll be a bigger screen. Uh, I don't know what other new features will be on this, but I think that given, you know, Apple only slowly improves these things. I suspect that the next iPhone, which comes out in probably in June, will be a faster processor. I hope it will support new, the new 4G networks. That's the real, the real question. But Apple, remember, was very slow to even get to 3G. The first iPhone didn't even, didn't, did not even do 3G. They don't, they're not anxious to push out innovations very quickly. They like to dribble them out. That way they make more money. Hey, thank you for the call, Donald. OtakuNoPodcast.com is the place to go for his podcast. My website, TechGuyLabs.com. Visit that for all the show notes. James Rua, thanks for writing those all down. Thanks to Luis Oliveira on the board. Nice job, Luis. Uh, Gina Savati answering the phone calls today. Thanks to all of you for listening. We will continue on on the Twit Network after we go off the air on the radio. That's at TWIT.TV. Or, I'm proud to say, if you Google the word Twit, I'm the number one result. <laughs> Easy to find. Just Google Twit and there I am. Thanks all for being here. Have a great Geek Week. We'll be back next week with lots more. And I certainly will have more to say about the uh, T-Mobile Sale to AT&T. That's, that's probably the big story of the week, don't you think? Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time. I am Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Have a great geek week.